me a mission, I got demons to slay. Communication made you talk in this way. Anxious world, what's going on, everybody? Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Anxiety About Anxiety podcast. Like always, I'm your host, Keith. And uh, we're going to keep this uh, mental health um, train moving. This mental health awareness train moving. On this episode, you're going to hear the story of Randall Clark. And um, he has a very interesting title. It's called Anxiety McPanic Face. And um, one thing I can say about Randall, um, very courageous man. You know, he's been through a lot. Uh, been, you know, he, he, he went through a long battle with cancer and, you know, his, his mental health. And uh, he's still standing. He's still fighting. And, you know, he, he was brave enough to share his story with you guys. And so, Randall, I really appreciate that um, for, you know, being a voice for mental health and uh, just showing people, you know, you can you may you may go through some 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 tough times and some challenges in life. But, you know, as long as you keep, uh, you know, keep 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 pushing forward, moving forward, you, you can make it through. You know, you're going to have hard days and some tough days and some very tough battles. But, you know, as long as you keep. Keep the faith and keep going forward, being strong, man. You can you can make it through, and um, that's what I take from his story. And I think you guys will take that from his story also. So um, yeah, thank you all for tuning in. Continue to support the podcast. You know, follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Anxiety About Anxiety. Uh, rate rate the podcast, review, subscribe. All your support is necessary. And very much appreciate it. So yeah, uh, so without further ado, I bring you the story of Randall Clark, Anxiety McPanic Face. Everybody have a blessed week. Take care of yourself and family. And I'll be back. Thank you for tuning in to the Anxiety About Anxiety podcast. What I love to call therapy for your soul. Hi. I'm Randy Clark. I am a co-host of Hydrogen and Stupidity Podcast. I'm coming to you today to basically talk about my mental health on a broader platform. So I like to say that my journey to anxiety and PTSD started in 2009. I was, uh, at that time, I was working as a firefighter EMT. March 3rd of that year is basically when I got the call that I dreaded my entire career. Three-month-old baby not breathing. When I got on scene, the mother came running to me, holding her beautiful girl, just begging me to be the hero. I pulled the family inside, placed the baby on the floor. I did a quick once-over and noticed dependent lividity. There was nothing I could do. It had been just way too long. In school, they taught us to work it, just so we were never stuck in a situation to be the bearer of bad news. But my personality doesn't work like that. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't I couldn't give that family false hope when I knew the outcome. I started sleeping 30 minutes at a time, waking up in cold sweats, crying for no reason, drinking heavily, and, and just picturing that baby whether I was awake or asleep. I developed an affinity for bourbon. I, I basically embodied just hate and rage. I finally reached out and got help. I saw a therapist for about, I want to say six months, and... At the time, it did a world of good, but it was it was temporary. So there was more sleepless nights on the ambulance, more anger building, more write-ups at work, and I think it was April 27th, 2011. Uh, it was just a widespread tornadic event. Uh, it hit 
you know, the entirety of Tornado Alley. I, I want to say it was upwards of three, 400 people had died in Alabama. So around 3.30 that afternoon, I got called to Coleman, uh, then to Jasper where they split me and my partner up, and then finally to Cordova. Cordova is a small town. It was just leveled by these tornadoes, and I worked most of the night there. And, um, you know, there was, it, was, it was dead bodies of people of all ages. Uh, I was sorting through the rubble in, in hopes of saving someone, which <clears throat> in turn led to more sleepless nights, more alcohol. And six months later, I was burnt out and I left the ambulance for a new job. I was trying to learn how to be happy again. And, uh, you know, sure enough, as life sometimes happens, I got more horrible news. And uh, I believe it was March of 2013. I began to have this this pain in my right flank. Uh, you know, I've never had kidney stones before, so I, was un- I wasn't really sure how it should feel. But as an EMT, I was trained to do the least invasive procedure first. So thinking that it might have something to do with my kidney, I took Azo Standard. Uh, if you've never taken it, it turns your urine dark orange. So after a week of taking that, I had zero relief, but it did add fun to uh, bathroom time because I stained some urinals. It was basically time to get it checked out. You know what? I'm lying to you guys. I was forced to have it checked out because I'm a stubborn asshole. Uh, my coworkers, they made me go to the ER. Like I said, I was working in the hospital. I don't, I don't even know if I told you. I was working in the hospital. So first, e- first ER visit was typical. I explained the symptoms. Tests were run. No explanation for the pain. It got worse. I couldn't walk without just bursting in pain. I got sent back to the ER by my coworkers after I finally fell at work this time. So more pain meds, more tests, ridiculous copay. Uh, Doc came back with an idiopathic diagnosis of phantom kidney stones. If you aren't familiar with the term idiopathic diagnosis, it basically means that the doc doesn't know what the hell is wrong with me, and he just threw a word at it and hoped that it would stick. The low confidence in my diagnosis prompted me to call my primary physician. I explained my symptoms to her, told her I thought it was musculoskeletal, and I was quickly referred to an orthodoc. This guy was the shit. Uh, he worked so hard for me, and I, I couldn't be more appreciative of him to this day. But it meant more tests. So I got shoved in every MRI, CT, and PET scan tube in Birmingham. Tests came back, had an answer, broken rib right where it meets the vertebrae. There was no explanation, hadn't flown through a windshield, wasn't beaten with a bat, it just broke. Scans were sent to a radiologist and... Two masses were seen on top of the bone. Doc broke the news to me. Um, I asked him to leave the room, and I, I cried. I was, uh, I was terrified because of the stigma of cancer and had very little education on the subject. How bad was it? I mean, w- was it serious? Was I going to be faced with a life-altering event? You know, I'd seen people close to me survive terrible cancers, but in my head, my anxiety-riddled head, <clears throat> I knew I'd done things in my past that would cause karma to catch up with me. I was immediately referred to a cardiothoracic surgeon, and after doing some research and my mom asking around, we found out it was one of the world's best surgeons in his field. This guy knew it. My first appointment was spent listening to him talk about himself, how many surgeries he had done, how many papers he had published, on and on, till finally he gave me my diagnosis. Langerhans cell histiocytosis 
or as we like to call it, Longhorn Hippopotamus. If you were to walk to me in the street today and say, Randy, can you tell me about Langerhans cell histiocytosis? I could not. I shut down. I stopped listening. Thankfully, I had a new woman in my life uh, that took notes, paid attention, asked the questions. I All I could see was just the bad, terrible things that were going to happen to me. So, turns out... It had already spread to my thymus, which was uh, what would, what was to be removed. So that meant chest surgery. It's at this point I'm starting to atone for sins I didn't even commit. Not a fan of rooting, somebody rooting around in my chest. Uh, they explained the surgery. It was four incisions on my right side. They collapsed my lung, and they basically go the long way to remove this mass. Uh, didn't sound good at all. Wasn't a fan. And anxiety sets in. So the day came. We all met at the hospital, my mom, stepfather, dad, my new girlfriend. Uh, it was time to get checked in. It was, uh, you know, paperwork, insurance, no fo- food or drink after midnight, blood tests, waiting, nervous, need allotted, need Valium, doctors, assless gowns, socks where the seam is on the tip of the toes. Yes, I changed the tone of my voice because if you know anything about me, that is one of my biggest pet peeves. I can't stand it. Wires, monitors, more doctors, needles, instructions, chest shave. Uh, they basically said, look, Mr. Clark, it's time. Count backwards from 100. I woke up in the recovery room. I was I was crying. I was in pain. I, I had zero pain medicine. Um, that's when I noticed there's a tube sticking out of my chest. Uh, no one told me about that. They said, you need to walk and you need to pee this much before midnight or we're shoving a catheter in your hole. And I basically said, you can go over there with that bullshit. Surgery was a success. Uh, and after some time in the hospital, I was sent home where my mother's coworkers just sent me all the goodies, the, the, the nutter butters, the, the Reese's peanut butter cups, you know, Dr. Peppers, Mountain Dews, just all the crap that I shouldn't be eating at that time. They sent it to me. Uh, and I love them for it. <clears throat> I don't really remember the recovery, not because I was out of it, but there was a next step and that was uh, radiology oncology. Uh, the disease had moved to my hip uh, and it was causing more pain than I like to deal with. I showed up for my appointments. I was measured. Next thing I know, uh, it was two weeks of half naked radiation, 30 minutes a pop. And I, I was walking like a new man. Now came the part that I was dreading hematology oncology, unknown amount of chemo. They started me on this drug called vinblasting and not a good drug. I I felt like my joints were going to explode and my long bo- my long bones just they just ached. Uh it, it was like growing pains but just on a larger scale. I was popping Lortab like they were Pez. I I wasn't tolerating that drug. Uh they did tell me there was another option but it would require another surgery. This time I had a port placed for easy access and they started me on cytarabine. They explained that it was a scaffolding drug, meaning every time I received it, the side effects would get worse. Three months into this drug, back in the hospital with an unreal temperature and just plain feeling like death. It wasn't until the next set of the drug that it was determined that I had a staph infection inside my port and every time my port was accessed, it would flush the staph infection through my entire body. So every time, back in the hospital... Uh, basically where no one knows what's going on because I'm not on the oncology floor. They put me on the kidney floor. Uh, the head oncologist did stop by and look at me creepily for like 10 minutes at a time with a gang of doe face new doctors, um, only to charge me like thousands of dollars for not doing anything. 
Month later, back in the hospital, same thing. Uh, it's time. I told him. I said, you got to get this thing out of me. I can't deal with this anymore. So they removed my port and gave me just a ridiculous amount of antibiotics. And I went home. Next appointment was perhaps the most emotional of all. Uh, My scans came back. Blood tests were checked. Everything is clear. My doctor informed me I was done with chemo. I, I cried and cried and cried. And I got to ring that little bell right outside the door that signified I had beat my disease and, and people just cheered. Uh, it was it was such a, a cathartic feeling to have such an emotional down and then an emotional up and then just people rallying behind you. It, it's an amazing thing. But disease and anxiety are funny things. You know, while the doctor told me I was clear. Every pain that I have, I freak out thinking it's back. The the exact pain I had in my hip before radiation, it's returned and terrified to take action. That was the longest, roughest road I've ever been on and not willing, not one that I'm, I'm you know, overly willing to take again. Three months before my surgery, I met her. You know, I, I told you I had a new girlfriend, you know, it was completely unexpected <clears throat> and it changed me. She was so passionate. So kind, loved life, loved people, and was just ridiculously positive. You know, she was she was a guiding light. She had every opportunity to walk away because we'd only been dating for like three months. But she stayed. You know, she stayed. Uh, she was she was amazing. Uh, reminded me of all my appointments. Made a calendar of them all. She set up a schedule for me to take any and all meds. She took me to appointments. She stayed with me when I was crying and in pain. I I was in love, and you know, we moved in together. Fast forward a couple of years to March 3rd, 2015. I got a call even worse than my diagnosis. A state trooper from North Alabama called me and informed me that my grandparents, yes, both of them had died in a car accident. My grandfather was my person. I've been fortunate enough to have a few men in my life that I looked up to that taught me lessons that were a shining example of what a man really is and not all that toxic stuff that, you know, the TV tells us we should be. Uh, my grandfather was the top of that list. I was the first person in my family to find out. So it was my burden to make the calls and tell my siblings and my mother. It was the hardest day of my life watching them lower my superhero into the ground. But life does go on. And a month and a half later, I proposed to my girlfriend. She said yes. Five months later, my sister was murdered. She was taking her nightly jog, and a deranged woman claimed God told her to jump the curb and run over my sister. That was a long, strange, uh, painful road for my family, but happier times were ahead. I did marry that woman in April of 2016. You know, life was supposed to be good. Unfortunately, Considering all the trauma in my life, I I shut down. It it caused me to be functionally depressed. I still worked hard, but outside of that, I only wanted to sit on my couch. I didn't, I didn't want to do chores. I didn't want to go out. I just retracted into myself. Enter the death of a relationship. When my divorce was final, you know, I I cried. I mourned the death of the relationship. I I wasn't crying because I was alone. I wasn't crying because I felt I should. I cried because it was a death of a part of myself. A whole person was born from that relationship. I was part of something greater than myself. And when it ended, I I knew I was different. I knew I had to change. 
I experienced something that was good and pure, something that spoke to my soul, something that made me more than what I was. When it ended, I had to leave that part of my life behind. It wasn't easy. It still isn't easy. It defined me. It changed everything about me. I was no longer her husband, and she was no longer my wife. We were no longer Mr. and Mrs. I lost my team, and I was facing the world by myself. I wasn't a fan of facing the world alone. I wasn't a fan of relying on myself to take care of everything that someone helped me with. I wasn't a fan of sleeping by myself every night just hoping and wishing that someone would just be there beside me. Someone to help me feel safe. Someone to balance me. I faced the world knowing that I loved someone, but I was alone. Counting on someone to be there, but finding it was no longer her job, I became very self-destructive. I did date after her. I, I put my heart into a relationship after her. I absolutely loved and adored the new girl, but I wasn't whole. I wasn't me. She was wonderful. I knew it. She was everything I could have ever wanted. She was good to me. She loved me. She was there for me, and she wanted to be a team. She deserved so much better. She deserved the me before I met my wife. She deserved the same outlook I had on love at the prime of my relationship and marriage with my ex-wife. I wanted to give her that. She deserved that. I couldn't. I couldn't be what she needed. I knew too much about life and had nothing left to wonder. She deserved the me that was bright-eyed and optimistic about love. And sadly, I'm jaded. I don't blame my ex-wife. I'm proud of her for following her heart. You know, uh, to, to be cheesy and cliche, as the great warrior poet Tupac once said, I still want to see you eat, just not at my table. Uh, it doesn't mean I didn't suffer. It doesn't mean that I never felt like my world was crushed. I just, It just simply meant that I needed to work on me. I needed to discover who I was. I'm not there yet, but I'll get there. And, you know, love's a fickle bitch. It can soften your heart, or it can make your heart as hard as, uh, what's one of those fictional indestructible metal adamantium you know you can pour yourself into one person and give them everything you are or basically you just avoid anything serious because you're just lost i'll be the first to admit it that i'm that i'm jaded you know some women have had insight to every ounce of my being and some like i've said they just deserved a much better version of me you know am i better absolutely am i 100 percent Absolutely not. I still struggle. I still don't trust as easily as I used to. Uh, I mean, I still picture all of the trauma I've experienced in my life every day. I picture that little girl still. I still remember her name. I still remember the moment I hear about my grandparents and my sister. Uh, you know, anytime there's a tornado in the area, it causes me emotional pain. Like most people who struggle, I put on the happy and cheerful, cheerful face. I, I pretend... I pretend like the world is all cupcakes and rainbows. You know, it's hard for me to reach out. Uh, it's my, my panic attacks are generally something I experience alone. I'm usually comfortable telling my story, but I'm not always comfortable sharing my feelings. Uh, it's, it's something I still struggle with. You know, I, I always like to think I'm normal and I know normal is a subjective term and I know we all suffer from something. Uh, but the weird thing about anxiety, depression, and, and possibly ADD, you just, you feel different. You feel like no one else understands when in all reality, like most of the world understands. You feel like, you just feel like an outcast. 
you know, I've never been able to shut my brain off. I've never been able to be calm. I've, I've only ever felt safe and balanced when someone else was next to me. And I hate that about myself. I hate that I've had to rely on someone else to be centered enough to just shut it all off and just be in the moment. But I'm getting better. I'm getting so much better. I'm working on me and I've taken the time and set aside the the time for me. Uh, and to any of you who feel isolated, you're not alone. There are people who understand. There are people who love and support you. You are stronger than you believe and the world would absolutely be lost without you. And thank all of you so much for listening to my story. I know I probably rambled on. I, I do apologize. I'm a little congested at the moment. Uh, it is February in Alabama where everything goes crazy, but I love you all. I don't need to know you to love you. And we got this.